I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Ezekiel chapters 44 and 45. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Verse 1 of chapter 44, that special eastern gate. Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces toward the east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut. As for the prince, because he is the prince, he may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gateway, and go out the same way. Also he brought me up by way of the north gate to the front of the temple. So I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell on my face. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, mark well, see with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the ordinances of the house of the Lord and all its laws. Mark well who may enter the house and all who go out from the sanctuary." Now say to the rebellious, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, let us have no more of all your abominations. When you brought in foreigners uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary to defile it, my house, when you offered my food, the fat and the blood, then they broke my covenant because of all your abominations." And you have not kept charge of my holy things, but you have set others to keep charge of my sanctuary for you. Thus says the Lord God, No foreigner, uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh, shall enter my sanctuary, including any foreigner who is among the children of Israel. And the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity." Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them. Because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity." And they shall not come near me to minister to me as priests, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. Only the prince will use this gate. Who is this prince in chapters 44, 45, 46, and 48? After very carefully examining this issue over a period of time, I can only conclude that this prince is not the Messiah. You'll see in these last four chapters obvious reasons why this prince is not a reference to Christ and and really can't be. For starters, consider this. The prince makes a sin offering for himself. It says in chapter 45, verse 22, If the prince were Jesus Christ, then he, the Messiah, would need cleansing from sin. But we know that Jesus Christ is sinless. Then in Ezekiel chapter 46, verse 16, we see that the prince may have sons 
to whom the prince may pass on an inheritance. Well, this too argues against the identity of this prince being the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So who is this prince? You're probably asking that question right now. Well, Ezekiel tells us earlier that it will be David himself. Look at Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 23 and 24, and then look at Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 24 and 25, and there he is, David. You'll see in the following chapters that this prince is entirely human. Can you say resurrected King David? However, many scholars hold to the notion that a mention of David as a millennial leader is always actually a reference to a descendant of David. Apparently, Ezekiel's prophecy envisioned David, or a descendant, as the civil leader under the authority of the Messiah. Very few commentators even acknowledge the fact that this prince is not a reference to the Messiah, but it's clear that he's really not. Most commentators gloss over the clear references to David and these issues that are raised regarding the prince, and they pay the subject very little attention. Now, let's summarize regarding this prince, and let's consider the following. The prince will be a leader within Israel in the Messianic era. He will be fully human because he makes a sin offering for himself, Ezekiel 45.22, and he may have descendants, Ezekiel 46.16. He'll own a tribal-sized plot of land encompassing the temple grounds. That's in Ezekiel chapter 48, verses 21 and 22. And finally, he will have a unique relationship with regard to the temple where he will be performing some priestly functions. Those are recorded in Ezekiel chapter 45, verses 16 and 17, and also verse 22. We'll look at that in a few moments. And also in Ezekiel chapter 46, verses 4 and 12. It's therefore clear that Ezekiel saw a leader in addition to the Messiah, Jesus, who will serve in this leadership capacity. Now, um, it can only be surmised here that there will be a Messiah, being Jesus, during the millennium with David or a descendant of David serving under him. Now, if you want to read the notes on Ezekiel chapter 46, you'll be skipping ahead, but it'll give you some more insight. Then in verses 6 through 14 of chapter 44 here, we get a special rebuke for the past practices of Israel and that they allowed pagans and pagan worship to take place in the previous temple. Here we have some very specific instructions designed to keep that from happening again. Remember, during the millennium, a host of Gentile people will be born who will not choose to partake of the salvation in Christ. These are those strangers spoken of here. We also notice a narrowing of the Levitical priesthood. Only those of a particular lineage, that of Zadok, are allowed to serve as actual priests. The others will do temple maintenance. This isn't really unique to the millennium. The prophetic decree was actually issued back in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 to 36. That's back when Eli's boys were killed by God. We don't see its implementation until Solomon becomes king in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 27, and also verse 35. That's when the priesthood is actually narrowed to only the descendants of Zadok, eliminating the descendants of Abiathar from that point forward. Technically, however, Abiathar's ancestors were to have already been eliminated from serving as priests all the way back to Numbers chapter 25, verses 11 through 13. That's where it was decreed that priests from that time forward would come only from the line of Aaron's grandson Phinehas, not even Eli in 1 Samuel was a descendant of Phinehas. That prophecy took a long time before fulfillment, but it was fulfilled. 
Well, those prophetic restrictions continue right on into the millennium. Now, by the way, I should point out that if you're still curious about that David connection with regard to the millennium, then uh, look at the article that I've written uh, entitled "David's King David's Role in the Millennium. It's on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, or you can find it under the topic section. In chapter 44, verses 15 to 31, we have some special instructions for these priests. Verse 15, But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. And it shall be, whenever they enter the gates of the inner court, that they shall put on linen garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turbans on their heads and linen trousers on their bodies. They shall not clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. When they go out to the outer court, to the outer court to the people, they shall take off their garments in which they have ministered, leave them in the holy chambers, and put on other garments, and in their holy garments they shall not sanctify the people. They shall neither shave their heads nor let their hair grow long, but they shall keep their hair well trimmed. No priest shall drink wine when he enters the inner court. They shall not take his wife a widow or a divorced woman, but take virgins of the descendants of the house of Israel or widows of priests. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy they shall stand as judges, and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. They shall not defile themselves by coming near a dead person, only for father or mother, for son or daughter, for brother or unmarried sister, may they defile themselves. After he is cleansed, they shall count seven days for him, and on the day that he goes to the sanctuary to minister in the sanctuary, he must offer his sin offering in the inner court, says the Lord God. It shall be in regard to their inheritance that I am their inheritance. You shall give them no possession in Israel, for I am their possession. They shall eat the grain offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Every dedicated thing in Israel shall be theirs. The best of all firstfruits of any kind, and every sacrifice of any kind from all your sacrifices shall be the priest's. Also you shall give to the priest the first of your ground meal, to cause a blessing to rest on your house. The priest shall not eat anything, bird or beast, that died naturally or was torn by wild animals. We see the service requirements for these priests outlined here. These millennial priests will still be expected to present themselves before the people as examples of righteous living. Specific instructions for doing so are listed here. There's a teaching ministry required of these priests as well. We see in verse 23 when it says, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. We see in verse 24 that these priests will have a hand in judging during the millennium, and they'll live off the provisions from the people they serve. One can't help but notice the similarities of the activities of those millennial priests to that of the Aaronic priest as outlined in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. Many of the specifications are the same or similar. Of course, back then those sacrifices were anticipating the day when sins would once and for all be atoned for. 
whereas we conclude that these millennial sacrifices will serve as a memorial of what Jesus has done already for the entire world. Then in chapter 45, we move to some zoning issues in the millennium. Verse 1. Moreover, when you divide the land by lot into inheritance, you shall set apart a district for the Lord, a holy section of the land. Its length shall be 25,000 cubits and the width 10,000. It shall be holy throughout its territory all around. Of this there shall be a square plot for the sanctuary, 500 by 500 rods, with 50 cubits around it for an open space. So this is the district you shall measure, 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 wide. In it shall be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be a holy section of the land belonging to the priest, the ministers of the sanctuary who come near to minister to the Lord. It shall be a place for the houses and a holy place for the sanctuary. An area 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 wide shall belong to the Levites, the ministers of the temple. They shall have 20 chambers as a possession. You shall appoint as the property of the city an area 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 long, adjacent to the district of the holy section. It shall belong to the whole house of Israel. The prince shall have a section on one side and the other of the holy district and the city's property, and bordering on the holy district and the city's property, extending westward on the west side and eastward on the east side, the length shall be side by side with one of the tribal portions from the west border to the east border. The land shall be his possession in Israel, and my princes shall no more oppress my people, but they shall give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribes. Well, here's some additional zoning issues being settled for the holy district around the temple grounds. There's a piece of property about six miles by eight miles that surrounds the temple and the priests surround the temple on this land. Additionally, the prince's area extends beyond this, both to the east and to the west, another eight miles or so. And then we see in verses 9 through 25, the sacrificing begins. Verse 9, Thus says the Lord God, Enough, O princes of Israel, remove violence and plundering, execute justice and righteousness, and stop dispossessing my people, says the Lord God. You shall have honest scales, an honest ephah, and an honest bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure, so that the bath contains one-tenth of a homer, and the ephah one-tenth of a homer. Their measure shall be according to the homer." The shekel shall be twenty giras, twenty shekels, twenty-five shekels, and fifteen shekels shall be your mina. This is the offering which you shall offer. You shall give one-sixth of an ephah from a homer of wheat, and one-sixth of an ephah from a homer of barley. The ordinance concerning oil, the bath of oil, is one-tenth of a bath from a core. A core is a homer of ten baths, for ten baths are a homer. And one lamb shall be given from a flock of two hundred, from the rich pastures of Israel." These shall be for grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonement for them, says the Lord God. All the people of the land shall give this offering for the prince in Israel. Then it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feast, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and at all the appointed seasons of the house of Israel. He shall prepare the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, in the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorpost of the temple, on the four corners of the ledge of the altar, and on the gatepost of the gate of the inner court. 
And so you shall do on the seventh day of the month for everyone who has sinned unintentionally or in ignorance. Thus you shall make atonement for the temple. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, you shall observe the Passover, a feast of seven days. Unleavened bread shall be eaten. And on that day the prince shall prepare for himself and for all the people of the land a bull for a sin offering. On the seven days of the feast he shall prepare a burnt offering to the Lord, seven bulls and seven rams without blemish, daily for seven days, and the kid of the goats daily for a sin offering. And he shall prepare a grain offering of one ephah for each bull and one ephah for each ram, together with a hen of oil for each ephah. In the seventh month, on the fifteenth day of the month, at the feast, he shall do likewise for seven days, according to the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. Well, even with Jesus as the Messiah during the millennium, sacrificing will resume. As explained in the notes of Ezekiel chapter 43, these sacrifices will be reflective of the finished work of Christ on the cross. However, keep in mind, the millennium is not a sin-free period. Even though Satan is bound for the entire period of the millennium, we see that in Revelation 20, verses 2 and 3, it's not Satan that causes people to sin. It's the presence of the Adamic nature in everyone born. The people who will populate the millennium are just regular folks like you and me who enter because they had faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior at the end of the tribulation. Nothing is done between the last day of the tribulation and the first day of the millennium to eradicate the Adamic nature in these people, these earth dwellers. Moreover, they will bear children who must choose for themselves whether or not they will receive Christ as their Savior. Therefore, the offerings and sacrifices in these verses characterize the millennium as Jewish in nature with a sinless Messiah flawlessly overseeing the requirements thereof. It should be noted, however, that the rebellion that takes place when Satan gathers unregenerate people to assist him is made up of only Gentile people according to Revelation chapter 20 verse 8. Incidentally, the Passover feast will be observed in verses 21 through 24 during the millennium just as in the Old Testament, complete with the lamb and unleavened bread for seven days. Then in the seventh month, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths as it's known, it will be celebrated. If you'd like more information on the festivals, then look at the link that's on this page of the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today or look under the topic section. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walker.